So we're finally starting our podcast. We've been talking about it for maybe over a year or, or maybe even more since we started talking about podcasts. Oh yeah, we've probably at least jokingly talked about it for as long as I've known what a podcast is. Yeah, I think we, I mean, I've probably listened to podcasts since 2015. Or, I'm sorry, wait, 2015 is when I really started listening to a bunch, but I listened to the Thomas Jefferson Hour since 2006. As a podcast or on the radio? Uh, both. So sometimes I would, I don't even know if they were called podcasts back then. Like they would just put them up and you'd download an episode. Did they call them podcasts in 2005? I don't know. I, my awareness of podcasts was pretty much from 2016 on. Because so. of Sam Harris. Sam Harris, yes. Sam Harris. Who saved my brain from <laughs> Sam Donald Harris. Trump. <laughs> He's, he saved a lot of people's brains, I think. So we're going to call our podcast Nobody Knows. In which we attempt to know. <laughs> and every time we've discussed that, I'm still not on board with the subtitle, but we'll see what happens. He we'll, continues to despise the subtitle, and I continue to state it after the title. I just feel like Nobody Knows is enough, and it also... I mean, we're, we're thinking Nobody Knows, because especially in the time period we're living in, it just feels like Nobody Knows. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and but but also what are we doing here if we're not trying to know some stuff? Right. I'm not going to say that everything we see on here is something that <laughs> I don't Everything we say on here is us attempting to know. Okay, we are attempting to know. That's that's true. Victory. Okay. So, we should talk about who we are. Okay. So, I guess we need to introduce ourselves and uh well, on the outline I have here, I'm supposed to go first, but would you like to go first, or would you like me to go first? Nah, you go. Okay. I guess when people introduce themselves, they usually talk about their professions. It's kind of how we define people, it seems like. Uh, so I'll define myself as an entomologist, so someone who studies insects. Particularly, I'm interested in flies. I did my PhD in entomology at University of California, Riverside, and I finished my dissertation about five years ago. I uh, kind of did a little bit of teaching for a while, a few, uh, a research postdoc at the Na- National Museum of Natural History, the Smithsonian. And then uh, I started deciding that maybe I wanted to get into computer science. So I just recently finished a program in computer science, an online bachelor's degree. And I'm currently looking for jobs as a software engineer, which uh, I think I'm really going to enjoy, you know, because I... I Really enjoy uh, web development and um, and uh, pretty much all things technology. Uh, I used to do some programming in high school and kind of gave that up for a while, but uh, I kind of wish I hadn't. I wish I had kept going at this point. Other than professional stuff, uh, I'm also I read a lot of early American history. Uh, I enjoy gaming, so play some of the popular first-person shooters. Uh, I haven't played StarCraft 2 in a while, which I feel like I need to pick back up. And uh, I like going on hikes, I like playing with dogs. And uh, I guess we could add podcasting now to the list of interests. <laughs> Have we done enough podcasting that you know you like it? I think I kind of like it. So I'll, I'll just uh, stop there. I'm sure we'll learn more about each other as we go, but or the fans will, if we can call them the fans. I'm not sure if you said your name. <laughs> I thought you introduced me. I'm John. I don't think I did. Okay, I'm John. I am entomologist is how we started. Okay, I'm entomologist John. And across from me is wife Krista. 
Hi. Um, so uh, I guess professionally speaking, I am a computer scientist, software engineer. Uh, I've been working in the field for about seven years, although my uh, background was originally that I got my bachelor's and master's in English literature. So I really switched gears. Um, I was teaching for a while at the university level, basic writing. Uh, that was kind of soul killing. Uh, not half as soul killing as the year I spent working as a secretary uh, after we left uh, our college hometown. Um, that sort of drove me to go back to the drawing board and just examine everything from the ground up. And I needed a job where I could use my brains. <laughs> so I am. Uh, he has brains. So I'm uh, working as a software engineer and I love it. So. Um, uh, aside from that, uh, my uh, true love is our trio of wiener dogs uh, <laughs> that bring chaos and love into our lives. Uh, I'm a big fan of fiction of all kinds, whether that's games or movies or books, anything with a good story, uh, especially murder stories. Um, I enjoy a good beer. Uh, I'm a, I'm a runner. I just ran a half marathon this weekend. Um, virtual, virtual half marathons. I, not, yeah. I'm not, not out not, in COVID with 3000 people trying to run away. Okay. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad <laughs> thing. I'm just saying we're, we're re, you're a responsible long distance runner. Yes. Uh, running in, in my own home on a rat wheel. Um, treadmill. <laughs> and, uh, I would describe myself as passionate about things that infuriate me, uh, but ultimately optimistic. So I get infuriated. Does that also mean easily annoyed? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> and um, I guess uh, the two of us together, we've been together, it seems like forever since we were 17 years old um, in high school and went to college together and um, now raising our three beautiful wiener dogs <laughs> okay <laughs> okay i think that's probably probably enough for now i'm sure more things about us will come out in the future if we keep this going um was there anything else you wanted to add no i, I think that's I probably mean, good for now should we talk more about why we want to start the podcast sure why are we here I will answer my own question. (laughs) I mean, I think that at least part of it is um, this sort of frustrating experience of not being able to talk to many people about the kind of things that we want to talk about. And we don't just mean because of COVID. I mean, we. Oh, yeah. I mean, if we we wanted to. Before COVID, and we'll have it after. Yeah, ideologically, it seems as people drift towards the extremes, towards the poles of ideology on the left and the right, um, more and more there's things that are unacceptable to say to our friends on either side. Um, Yeah, it feels like more and more topics are just something that you can't talk about. And we're increasingly frustrated with that because we weren't in college that long ago, but it felt like when we were there... We could talk about anything we wanted to with our friends or even in a classroom setting. Yeah, I think both of us really value um, the experience of 
um, I don't know what you'd call it, but I've heard people talk about it in the context of philosophy classes where you, somebody proposes something outrageous, not that they believe, but just as a question worth talking about. And then, and then you go back and forth and you can say, just sort of throw ideas around in your brain, like right. Plato, I, I, <laughs> not Plato, the philosopher, Plato, the Play-Doh. multiple toy. Play-Doh or, or those little sticky hands. So you could throw them and they used to like, yeah, let's feet. see what sticks. See sticks. And a lot of people talk about this on their podcast where they say it's, you just need some space to organize your thoughts and talk out loud. So you shouldn't be penalized for just basically thinking out loud. That's what we're doing. Thinking out loud and penalized. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of that <laughs> in the coming future, but you, you know, you invited me. I know, but you know what I'm saying? We just, it, it's so weird that we expect people to only formulate their thoughts in their minds and then say something that's completely uh, refined and concentrated before it comes out instead of just being able to talk out loud about it and see and see where it goes and not have to hold whatever that person says or excuse, not having to hold that person to everything that they say and identify yeah. them with everything that comes out of their mouth. I mean, I'm sure some of it has to do with ideas being immortalized forever on the internet if you type something out it's there forever so people have adopted this kind of attitude with everything that you ever once said but i mean beyond just not having ideas held against you i think just certain things that certain people think shouldn't be said actually should be said because we need to i don't know where i was going with that but I, I don't think there's anything you're that saying, shouldn't be said or explored or thought about. I don't, it's not, it's less about holding it against you and more literally what is, what can be said that shouldn't be said? I mean, isn't speaking always better than silence? Isn't figuring out ideas always better than holding them in? And don't we want to know each other? I mean, definitely in, in, if you're going to live in a, a free and democratic society, it doesn't function if people are... I'm not saying that people need to go around giving their opinions all the time. Oh, no. But what I'm saying is if we live in a society where people are afraid to say what they think and they keep their personal beliefs completely private and those personal beliefs that they have look nothing like the personal beliefs that they express outwardly, how can you make any decisions and because you have to have information in a democracy to be informed. That's what it comes down to. And if you don't know what the people are thinking, how can you have, how, how can you make any rational decisions? Well, and beyond if, that, if just, you're, just real quick, I mean, you're, you're making decisions based on lies. If you're, if everyone's holding their private thoughts uh, back and, and not expressing what they truly believe, every single policy decision you ever make will be based on a public facing lie. Well, beyond that, speaking broadly at policy level, is how do you know who your friends are or the people that that you want to have relationships with if, if people are um, not speaking honestly or not or not saying everything that they think, then you can't even really have a, a react a, a relationship with somebody if if that's the the manner of communication. You're just it's shutting down part of what makes you human. Agreed.
Um, so the other thing is something that I think... We're way off the notes right now. Do you no, notice well, that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, the other thing that I think that you brought up was that we have these conversations and we say shit like, oh, we should write that down. Or why why haven't we clarified our thoughts on that? Or I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, no, for sure. I mean, we're... We, we talk about these things a lot in, in private and... Now they're semi-public, I guess, if this ever gets into a platform that people can listen to it. But also, it you know, the more we talk about these things, the more it sharpens up our points and makes us uh, more confident in what we're saying. Because if we relate that back to what we were just talking about before, we need to have people that are more confident in what they're saying and unafraid to step out and, and, and say things Um well, and we have had conversations, I mean, we have conversations like this all the time, and we've never really thought it was that unusual until, like, it it happened that we were in a car with somebody for two or three hours, and we were going on and on for an hour and a half about something, the, I think, the death penalty. You and, and I were. Yes. You, you the, and I. The passenger. Was, the passenger. The passenger was friend was politely listening. Um, as we talked about the death penalty and drug legalization and all of these things, and just, you know, throwing devil's advocate points out there and challenging what what we're saying as base assumptions. And and we were probably talking pretty loud. Oh, yeah, we get like, heated, but not yeah. angry. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, these are things that people care about. So it's it's you you get emotionally involved, but um, never once are we fighting. And this is just normal shit for us. Right. I, I think we probably stopped arguing about whatever we were arguing about probably just turned on music and started singing along to that like nothing happened but our friend who's in the back seat <laughs> thought that we were basically on the verge of divorce <laughs> no i mean i think or thought we should be well yeah i think on... thought that people that talked about these things normally would be yeah i don't i don't think the perception was okay, that we okay. were fighting i think the perception was like wow you guys can just talk for an hour and a half about this stuff and not get into an argument like this seems right. strange and what it really shows you is how difficult it is for a lot of people to separate, you know, ideas and beliefs from the person. So they're assuming that when you and I are having this heated discussion, you sort of become your viewpoint. That's who you are as a person. Oh, completely. And that causes a huge problem. If we can't just leave the game on the table and then walk away and go have a drink then we can't become the game. And that's sort of where we are. We're at the point where everything that someone says is exactly who they are at that point. And on top of that, we moralize it to the point where whatever they say has to be filtered through a moral lens. We can't just have an idea. It has to be, is it a good idea, a bad idea, or is it good or evil, basically? Is what it oh, comes down to. Is the thing you just said evil or is it good and that's the only way to look at an idea for some people and it's and people are so politically entrenched that it's not even ideas it could be somebody that you voted for and then all of a sudden you're on somebody's shit list like right like extension, you are identified as that person because you voted for that person well yeah instead of just oh i probably don't agree on your tax policy because you voted for Donald Trump, or I probably don't agree on your tax policy because you voted for Hillary Clinton. It's, 
I think you're an evil person and I know everything I need to know about you because you voted for one of those people. Right. And I think we're drifting towards <laughs> different podcast topics. No, so. but I mean, these are the kinds of things that we want to talk about. Exactly. And, and destigmatize like talking to people that you disagree with for one thing. I think it's totally important. I mean, obviously you and I agree on a lot of things, but but the kind of conversations that we have, I think, are representative of the kinds of conversations that need to happen between people that disagree with each other. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure what else we have um, to talk about here, but uh, I did uh, want to say that this feels like a way to incentivize something that we already do, which is talk shit to death. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, Intellectually, of yeah. course. It, it also kind of goes along with things we've talked about before where we listen to podcasts and we want so badly to um, be a part of the conversation. Be part of the conversation. Here we go, oh, I want to ask him a question. Or, and what you end up doing is you listen to the podcast or you read a book or you watch an episode of some show and then you go on for days and days having this conversation in your mind about what you would have said if you were in the room with them when it happened or how you think they would have replied to something you thought and Maybe we're not talking to them directly, but now we have a way to sort of voice what we would think about that. So I'm sure we'll listen to podcasts or watch some shows or something and decide to basically have our own discussion about it. Oh, yeah. And um, on that note, I think maybe we could just spend a little bit of time talking about what we're what's on our mind this week in terms of uh, what are you reading or watching or listening to? Um we hope this is sort of a like get to know us kind of segment, but also um, just it, that it'll sort of relate to the topics at hand usually because a lot of times what we want to talk about ends up coming out of one or more of the things that we're paying attention to at this moment. So, what, John, what are you doing this week? As, well, people cannot see, we have an ongoing home project. <laughs> we're <laughs> doing massive uh, remodeling around the house and uh, doing a lot of uh, outside improvements so I probably watching too many YouTube videos on how to do specific types of construction tasks even though I have a I have a background in it you know I, I did a lot of construction with my dad as a kid and uh, learned a lot from him but there's still so many things so well uh, he says too much because he's not just watching the videos learning how to do the specific thing that he does he gets on a roll and he's like oh look at this person applying trim to this thing that we don't even have i want to know how they did that yeah it's like wow how did you make those the joints you know in that in that baseboard look so tight and then i want to read about like coping techniques and things like that but even though that's not needed or not important to what we're talking about uh just something that's you know i've i've heard everybody's heard the term stoicism as a philosophy and that's sort of one thing that i'm I've decided I'm going to try to learn more about this year. I guess we could talk a little bit. It's not really a resolution, but we should maybe mention that we are recording this on January 18th on Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. And so we're on a holiday right now and close to the new year. So I guess this isn't a resolution, but one thing I do want to work on this year is learning more about stoicism. And I've been using the Waking Up app, and they have these sections on theory where Sam Harris brings on various experts on different types of meditation and, and philosophy and so i've started going through the the module on stoicism and i'm really enjoying it and i'm starting to try to put together my list of 
the ancient Greeks and Romans who are going to be important for reading. And I just read a little small book that you got me for Christmas called Make Your Bed. And it's uh, written and by... And he has been, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, we both make the bed. <laughs> and uh, I've been... I've, so I've been reading uh, that little book. It's it's You can read it just in an hour or two. And it's written by Admiral William McRaven, who uh, is probably considered as like one of the best uh, sort of centrists in the country. He's not really a politician, but he's been in some higher level administration uh, positions like he was the chancellor of university of texas former navy seal and uh you know he's just one of these people that exudes confidence and uh you could say uh wisdom on how to live life and get the most out of it so i've kind of been interested in him recently um i guess on less serious notes i've been stoicism i've been reading the wheel of time by robert jordan i think the first book maybe came out in the late 80s Oh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think there's 14, and the author so died a, before finishing. He, he died before finishing? I didn't know that. Yes, his, uh, a, another fantasy author and longtime uh, friend and fan finished the last mm. two or three books. So I'm on book four, and I think there are... I think 14. Six, 14, 14 books. So I've got a little ways to go. There are prob- I mean, I'm reading on, on the Kindle, so I'm not quite sure how many pages they are, but I'm guessing they're... They've got to be around six to seven hundred pages, and I've seen them in the mm, bookstore before. And uh, back when we were reading some other fantasy novels, and I decided that would be a good one to pick up. And uh, so I'm reading that now and really enjoying it. And he's outpaced me. I'm reading those as well, but I took a break after the first book, and he's on book four. Yep, it's a real uh, I would say page turner, but I don't know what you call that for Kindle. <laughs> it's a real page swiper. <laughs> it's a real swiper. <laughs> this book's a real swiper. Okay. Uh, Sounds pejorative. <laughs> I said swiper. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I think that's pretty much all with me right now. Um, I mean, the other thing that we have been doing together is watching a lot of the Star Wars animated series, The Clone Wars. Um, we never watched it when it originally came out. And uh, after the Mandalorian got kind of our interest was piqued by certain characters that show up there and we finally we have Disney plus so we finally have it all at our fingertips if we want to watch it and it's been great I mean our our love of Star Wars has been on a up and down roller coaster ride of um, happiness and sadness <laughs> or of satisfaction yeah yeah so over the last couple decades so um, it's nice to be watching something that there's just so much content of it and it's all so good yeah i was i mean when when star wars lucasfilm was first acquired by disney we were pretty concerned i think (laughs) well at least i was (laughs) maybe you weren't as much no i wasn't because they had already acquired acquired marvel and we saw sort of yeah, there are a lot of good. There are a lot of good Marvel movies. I'm not really a big superhero person. I mean, I read a few comics here and there, but I could see the range in quality, and that was that was uh, exhibited by the films and the TV shows. Well, look, and, let's just get this out of the way first. Okay. Nothing in my mind could have been worse than the disaster that was the prequels. 
Um, so Disney seemed like a good step in the right direction to me. Well, and and then we got uh, we got the Last Jedi. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, that was years into the. Amazing. There was some year. Look, the Last Jedi is a. Um, this is another podcast episode we can talk yeah. about for a minute. <laughs> it's a. It is an experience that is not all bad, but. Um, I, I guess what I would add, just say is that the Mandalorian, a plus, has reignited my love of Star Wars to the point where I still I want to go now and like read Wikipedia again. I say Wikipedia, <laughs> and it makes me want to read comics again on Star Wars and watching the Clone Wars. It's all reignited my love of Star Wars, which the third trilogy was not doing for me well the the clone wars what i will say for that is that it has um begun the making me a uh prequel apologist a little bit it's rehabbed a lot of the characters uh from the prequels and i'll say i don't hate them as much as i once did um because i think part of where they were lacking was anakin skywalker okay but but not just Anakin Skywalker. I mean, everybody's kind of two-dimensional in those prequel movies. And now I... And I think they were underdeveloped. And I think having more development from them, I care about those stories a little bit more now. So let's just... I mean, we could put the prequels in a drawer and substitute them with the Clone Wars. And it's great. Um, aside from that, I'm reading, as usual, some, some murder mysteries. I'm reading a... Um, a book called The Wife Upstairs that's sort of the modern kind of creepy retelling of Jane Eyre, it seems like. Uh, only about five chapters in. And I'm watching, without John, I'm watching uh, Lovecraft Country, which is great. It's like period sci-fi horror. Um, lots of really interesting period things. Period sci-fi horror? <laughs> <laughs> like it's set in a time period. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> You know. Well, that period horror sounds like it could be several <laughs> different things. Okay, it's a uh, 1960s set. Sorry, I have to interrupt you with stupid jokes too every now and okay. then. Okay, fair play. Um, really interesting things that they're doing with like soundtrack there with sort of modern music and and uh, time and the music of the time and, and uh the crazy like horror story stuff and then and then the stuff that's not supernatural horror that's just like the actual horror of being black and driving through counties that where people would do terrible things to you um just because you're black yes sundown counties like you better not be here when the sun goes down right um so scary on a lot of levels, also just, just really well made and good. I'm only about four episodes into that. And, How long um, are the episodes? Oh, they're hour-long episodes. Like an eight-episode eight season, something like that? Uh, yeah, it's HBO, so I don't know if it's eight or ten or twelve, somewhere in their range. And um, Well, when they get to season nine or eight like game of thrones it'll be hour and 40 minute episodes coming every six <laughs> weeks and there'll be three of them <laughs> i mean i would like to say hbo learned their lesson with that one so we'll I see hope so um i'm not doing a whole lot else i'm working full-time from home so um 
the only other thing that is taking up a lot of the time is training the puppy. We've got a puppy that's dealing with teething and house training and we've been thinking a lot just about how how differently he seems to behave from our other dogs how different the experience is trying to tr- teach him some of these things and um and then I guess wondering how much of that is just he's just a genetically different dog from our other dogs and this is just who he is versus we're older now and we probably spoil him more than we spoiled the other ones and how much of it is what we're doing differently. Um, we're also delaying his neutering a little bit. Yeah, this which is a we're, we're having a little bit of debate back over. and forth with us whether that's a good the, idea. Unsurprisingly, the man is delaying the neutering. No, that's not <laughs> that's not why I'm doing it. That's not why I'm doing it. There's no need to go into it, but just because of potential uh, research that shows that specifically you, for dachshunds, for dachshunds, if you wait uh, longer than six months, maybe up to a year before you neuter male dachshunds, then their chances of having intervertebral disc disease may be decreased to levels that you would see in regular un- or intact males. So because of our past experience with that, we, we think we might want to do all we can to mitigate potential yeah, problems. so it's a trade-off between trade-off. do we wait a year to neuter him so that he doesn't get intervertebral disc disease or is it going to result in him humping our other dog back into remission on his <laughs> IVDD? So, humping him back. <laughs> okay. Uh, not remission, the opposite of remission. <laughs> humping him out of remission on his IVDD. <laughs> It's terrible. Our poor old man dog needs a break. Okay. All right. I think we should end that segment. <laughs> or start to transition. No. To yeah. Transition. Okay. So the other thing that we have been talking about and thinking about a lot lately is something I think a lot of people in the country have been thinking about or talking about in one way or another over the last two weeks. And that is something that stemmed out of the violence at the Capitol, um, the shit show that went down there. And then um, because we're both in tech fields um, uh, at various stages of our career, just sort of questions of around what tech companies response to some of this has been, um, that has been part of what it seems where it seems like most of the fallout of this has been. And it's, it's something that feels like it hits close to home, both, both in the kind of things that we think about, um, and the, the work that we do. So that's the focus that we want to take today in this discussion. And I, I'm not sure where you want to start, John, with that. Well, I, I think we both sort of came up with some of our own talking points that we had that we'd like to talk about. Some of them are probably overlapping, o- o- you know, greatly overlapping. <laughs> and some of them may, maybe not at all. But um, we should probably just start off with do, well, we, do we know? Maybe we what... should recap what happened. I guess I, I think most people know, but like the the sequence of events that has happened in regards to okay. the tech and freedom of speech so fallout of the, the Capitol riots. I guess just the TLDR on that is we have the the violence the Capitol happened. Trump was tweeting inflammatory tweets tweeting tweets this is that, <laughs> inflammatory they, they, statements they need to rename encouraging his supporters encouraging 
you can you can definitely be read as encouraging people to try to stop the vote, or at least uh, come in and try to cause some chaos and disruption. I mean, he was certainly sending support, even specifically to the people that had gone out there. I mean, if not in his tweets and his speech that day, where he said that he loved them. And we'll talk a little bit, maybe more about. We can talk more about patterns and enforcement of rules and guidelines later, but obviously everybody knows Trump's been doing walking the line on this for a while. And then previous to these, um, sorry, I thought I heard a cat meowing. <laughs> There's a cat outside. The phantom uh, cat. So pre- previous to these events, you know, after the, the election, we had uh, Twitter starting to put little... Um, little messages besides beside tweets that oh. they were deeming to have inaccurate or false information. So this wasn't just against Trump. This was against even uh, your, your normal your normal Twitter user. If they if they caught right. I think it had to have I think it had to have probably a, no, a certain number of retweets or likes before they would Notice. Know, catch it in their algorithm. <laughs> but but they were starting to put uh, informate a little thing that said something like these the statement above has not been verified or this statement may may contain uh, uh, untrue statements or something like that. I mean, I think, and then the, the other major fallout that happened after Trump's removal from Twitter is the, um, the par- parlay, parlor parlay. I stuff have no idea that happened. I mean, you should say parlay, but because of the average user of the product, I'm going to go ahead with parlor. They're not francophiles? <laughs> I don't think so, okay. on, a, on average. Um, so that, the, the, the parlor service uh, being dropped first by... The Apple started saying we're going to take oh, right, the, the app, app store. Off, of, off of the App Store. And, then and Google, Google Play removed said it. we're going to take off the Google Play Store. And then Amazon dropped them from their servers. So... This is where our tech background can maybe help people understand a little more about what that means. So when you decide that you want to create a web application, so you know, think about anything you interact with online where you input data, get data back, or even just a website where you read some information that someone posted in a sort of like a static form like you would read on a Word document or even a book, that information is residing on a computer somewhere. You know, it's it's sitting on a computer in Seattle. It's sitting on a computer in Kansas or China or, or somewhere. But that information or exists. in the case of Hillary Clinton's emails on her <laughs> server in the basement. In the basement, and in order for you to uh, have your application, whether it's an app on your phone or on your desktop computer in your browser, you have to have a company that will agree to hold that data for you on one of their computers, which you call server, and provide an address for it so that when someone enters that address into their browser, that it will contact them, grab the information, bring it back to their computer and display it for them. Yeah, all that data needs to be in a centralized location stored somewhere. And conceivably, you could set this all up yourself if you like. Conceivably, you could. Had a bunch of machines that could hold all your data and do it, but... In the modern world, people don't do that themselves. I mean, we've come to rely on mm-hmm. on on services like Google and Amazon hosting services to to host all of all of this data right. for every kind of website and app that you can think of. Right, and so Amazon was the, the the company that held that data for them on a server, 
they decided we're just not going to even allow you space anymore. Essentially is what they've done. So that means your app goes down. And, uh, you know, you could, you could keep following this for a while and you start thinking, well, why don't you just spin up another app or, or a server or something like that? Well, it gets harder and there's different reasons. We could talk about those later, but before we get off track, but that's sort of, that's sort of where we are. Now. I that, guess, that's yeah, the, that's those the, are the events. That, the primary that sequence so, of events is, and I guess in addition to Trump being blocked on or, removed from twitter he was also removed from a host of other uh social media TikTok, sites TikTok, farmers only <laughs> facebook uh, <laughs> yeah uh, all of the I, so I, I, don't, I don't know if I he has instagram i i don't know if either one of us want to make the statement whether or not we agree with that or not but maybe we should talk a little bit about it well, before we say okay what we first think. of all i would like to say okay. fuck donald trump because I don't, I don't want anything that we say about freedom of speech and these different apps and everything, and and where they should draw the line on freedom of speech. I don't any, want any of that to be construed as I'm a Donald Support Trump apologist or anything right. like that. So yeah. I, I think there's lots of things to be said no for Donald Trump fans here. No, there's lots of things to be said in favor of him never being allowed to speak again. Um, but as always, these questions are bigger than one person. So, right. okay, so that's out of the way. We don't, we don't <laughs> like, we did not vote for Donald Trump. Anyway. No. Okay, so where do where do we pick up from that? So that's the background. I guess what is the first thing that you, the first entry point into this conversation that you want to take, like the first ethical so I think question? I, or... I think we should say whether or not they have the right to do that. So one of my points that I put in, I don't know if you have something similar to this, is that. We should discuss whether private companies uh, sort of have to honor the First Amendment, or does private uh, company does does your status as a private company mean First Amendment doesn't apply? When and when should you be able to censor someone? So I I kind of like to go with that. I mean, you've heard me say this before. I tend to think that employers. I mean, it gets murkier as you, as employers are huge corporations, but. And employers as people, um, which sometimes they are individual people, have mm-hmm. rights too, right? And I, don't, I, I think freedom of speech does not mean freedom of speech without consequence whatsoever. Um, That's true. So there has to be some balance of, well, I just don't like you, so I don't want you to work for me anymore. Or I just don't like what you're saying. I think it reflects badly on my company. Right. So and we're I framing that as an employee-employee relationship. Where... Yes. Obviously, you don't have the right to say anything you want to say at work. Yeah, you that. can't. You can't say terrible things to your coworkers to make their morale go bad. And someone can't say, "Well, it was my First Amendment right to tell them they were dumbass," and, and every day tell them <laughs> that their food stinks. Like, well, and on no, the... that's harassment, right? Especially in the workplace, and it's if it's affecting the bottom dollar, the bottom line, then that's not free speech. Well, and on the flip side, also taking into consideration the bottom line, we have companies that have maintained the employment of people who are are shitty human beings who have done something terrible but they're not in jail and if the company or employer can continue to make money off of them they want to keep hiring them that is also their right that's true so i think we could take you know one thing that's interesting to do is just take your the extreme examples take the corner cases and then work our way work our way in so we're talking in this example you gave just about speech in the workplace, basically among people, that's not the, the speech isn't going out into the world. 
You know, it, though we it, it have could, seen things where somebody tweets something or true. they are photographed by the media doing something and okay. then and then things go viral and somebody but gets fired for 90, that. 99.9% .9 of the interactions we're talking about aren't, aren't going off onto the internet and not going on to broadcast television or the podcasts. But if you, if we're now, I think we could talk about like in a case like, okay, let's talk about Joe Rogan. He's got a podcast. He invites all kinds of people. I, I think he would probably... If if he could take a time machine back in time, he would probably interview Hitler. Like he would interview anybody. He would interview anyone because he believes just talking to people. Yeah, except but, that he's publicly said that he wouldn't uh, talk to Joe Biden so, on his podcast. So I, 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 I don't know about that. But no, I know about that. I looked it up. Oh, you, he didn't say that. Nobody knows. Uh, <laughs> you know, he said that that all of the presidential candidates asked him to be invited on and he told them all no except for Tulsi Gabbard and Andrew Yang and Bernie Sanders. So And Bernie Sanders oh they said Bernie Spears. Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders. Okay, Bernie Sanders. So, hey, you okay. know what? They have a lot in common. They probably do. Uh so Joe Rogan doesn't have to let anybody he wants talk on the podcast. No. If if uh if I said if I wrote Joe Rogan a letter and said, I want to be on your podcast and talk about X, Y, Z, he said, no, he's not infringing on my first amendment rights. No. So that's a, I think that's a good ground a place to start from there. So just because you have a platform in your, in your private company, that doesn't mean that you have to let people participate, participate in and you and use it. So, but if Joe Rogan, so let's, let's get to the point now where, we talk about what happens as the consequences of when you do. So if Joe Rogan allows someone on his podcast, he's got a crazy nutball on there who ends up maybe, what if he, what if he ends up specifically calling someone out, says go to their house and kill them right now. If he released that as a podcast onto Spotify or, I mean, it's not going to get on Spotify because the, the people that work <laughs> at Spotify would shut it down. Really fast, but let's say that it's something like that did get out. Joe Rogan could probably be liable for that, right? Because he edited that content and released it. Or is that person, or or is there, unless, I'm saying if there could be some other legal way of, of saying you're not responsible for what people say and do on your platform. Well, but, now we're towing the line of this Article 230 right, um, that releases that. people from liability. And the whether you're media a media companies. company. So or web he, hosting services and whatnot. I would contend that if if someone was on Joe Rogan's podcast and they said, everyone get together and go kill this person at their house right now, and they did it, I think Joe Rogan would be partially responsible for it. Because, well, yeah, there is something uniquely different Because he didn't have to release that podcast. Like hosting Reddit and millions of people are posting and you can't always see everything that's on there. If somebody says something like that, it's not even as if all eyes on Reddit are on that post. Um, there should be something, I, I think, removing the the monitors of Reddit from responsibility of somebody that's using their platform for something right. weird there. But there is something... Uh, a lot more um, there's a lot heavier responsibility on somebody who who's who's recording a podcast or or putting out content that if you're the New York Times you have a bigger responsibility than, than we have right now. <laughs> <laughs> sure right we're responsible for what we say because we're the ones producing the content if the New York Times has 
someone as an opinion. I believe they do have legal ways of saying, we're going to allow this person to say what they want to say, but their opinion doesn't represent the New York Times. Well, and I do think that that even then, they're going to avoid the kinds of things that are equivalent to shouting fire in a burning building. I believe so, too. Or in a crowded theater. <laughs> you should usually shout fire in a burning building. Theaters do are it. usually buildings, right? I said in a burning building. Oh. You should shout fire in a burning building. Oh. Get those people out. You should. That's true. <laughs> you should not shout fire in a theater in, in that a is crowded, non burning. Non burning theater. <laughs> See, this is why we need to new amendments to like qualify these things. It's okay to shout fire in, in a, a burning, burning building. building. Yeah. I mean, I said it, it sounded right. It's not. Okay. Correct. That's, we got that settled then. So let's then try to port this over to something like Twitter. So before Twitter, you could go on just about, um, you know, any of these websites that had some kind of forum, you could leave a comment. People write terrible things in those comments, but the people that are posting or that, that host those websites are not going to obviously be responsible for everything. Some idiot says, in yeah, those like comments. I said about Reddit. Yeah. 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 That, that works as well. So, you brought up section 230 we've been that's been kind of what's weird it's almost it's like a fox news talking point almost you never hear about it almost in the in the the liberal media yeah i, 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 I hang up before i say it again i'm going to be very careful to not say liberal media because <laughs> msnbc does not represent liberal values in my opinion but i'll say so, the leftist media okay mainstream media because unfortunately, leftist media and mainstream media the seem left, to be left one of the stream same. media. We we'll call the left stream media. Uh, so you don't hear about it that much, and a lot of tech companies don't want to talk about it that much either. But they're protected by it. So Section Two Thirty. Uh, I, I haven't done a whole lot of research on this. I knew a little bit about it, but I, I just did a little bit of googling before the uh, before we started uh, this podcast. And it's formally part of the Communications and Decency Act, the CDA of 1996. So it was passed when Bill Clinton was in office. And it actually was drafted uh, by part, with uh, bipartisan support. So there was... Yeah. There were... And honestly, it's an important... It's, it is an important thing to have. It, it protects people from lawsuits and liability for stuff that people who are, are posting on the internet. And it's not... It's not... It, it, it says it's not the responsibility of the people that are hosting this platform to control every single thing that, yeah. that people are, are putting on there. With, without um, it, it I think would be it was, hard. Oh, go ahead. I think it was the Oklahoma City bombing. Um, someone tried to sue some site that, that he had posted on prior Timothy to the attack. McVay. Yeah. And that was part of the impetus for getting this um, this article um, started, this bill. Um because they wanted, they said, well, it's not really the fault of the the web hosting service that some psycho terrorist, like, put his ideology out there, and it's not, it's not necessarily the onus isn't on them to to police the internet. Right. Well, let me just read just one line from it, and then we can talk about what that line has actually enabled. Because I I would argue that without it we wouldn't have the internet like we have now it, all the good things we have <laughs> we wouldn't have the good parts of the internet that we have now so 
Here's a quote. No provider or user of an interactive computer service. This is obviously 1996 language. <laughs> no user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. So in this case, another information content provider is just a user on the site. So that could be your, your normal uh, Twitter base and the provider would be Twitter or any of these other sites you wanna use there. So imagine what you would have if this was not possible. Every single time someone was going to allow a person to post on their website or platform on the internet, they would they could potentially be um, sued. Sued. They they would be treat they could be treated as the publisher of that thing. I mean they could be held not just sued, they could be held criminally responsible right. in some cases. I mean you hear I mean like I said earlier, I play video games. You hear people don't say it as much as they used to. So much of the harassment I think has really gone away. But Early on, there there could be some terrible harassment on on uh, some of these online gaming forums, like just saying terrible things to people that would probably get you sued or possibly criminal charges, <laughs> brought, criminal charges brought up against. If Microsoft or, was liable for all of the shit would, that spewed between idiot teenagers, there would be no Xbox Live. There, none of this stuff would exist. There, you wouldn't be able to comment on anything, and even you wouldn't be able to review a product. You wouldn't be able to put an Amazon review or... Uh, well, I mean, I guess you could, but maybe it would have mm-hmm. gone through such a... Like, maybe the internet would just look different. Maybe every time you posted something, it would have to go through a review process. And, and maybe that would have eventually been algorithmed out to bots or whatever uh, that, that review. But could you imagine what it would, oh, the and army the, of people so, you would need to read these things? So you would need And they would all have to be lawyers. Pre, for every comment, it would take three weeks to get out there. And I know people don't like lawyers now. If this hadn't happened, then Twitter would be probably employing about 14 million lawyers just reading tweets every day just to so make sure they couldn't get sued. I would agree. I think, I think that having this law is is super important (laughs) super she says um i i and and i actually i i was reading a little bit about it and i actually don't the the two senators that are trying to rewrite it a little bit are two senators who everybody loves senator ted cruz and senator holly um yeah but why is why are they the ones trying to do it well so Reading a little bit about it, what they're trying to do or what they're trying to say is that in order to be protected by this rule, a platform has to be ideologically neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, that's their argument. Which is sort of the ideal we used to hold the newspapers up to, at least in the in the, in the later, latter half of the 20th century, we had this idea that the news was going to be a neutral platform. Right? Sure. I would... I would disagree that this that this particular law should should factor that in at all. To me, all of this all this law is is a shield against liability for people that are running a platform from the actions of their constituencies. Uh, I don't think that that being non ideologically neutral invalidates that protection. I think, but I but I do think that the I guess what I would say is the problem actually comes in 
when we have these non-ideological neutral, non-ideologically neutral platforms, mm-hmm. and that's all there is. We have the problem is actually monopolies, not this two thirty protection. Right. If we had. 14 or 15 different platforms that were equally as popular as Twitter, it wouldn't be such a problem. But so I think I, what I want to talk about before we move on is why uh, the Twitter case is different. So because of Section 230 that we were just talking about, uh, they're not considered a media company. They're not considered to be liable for what the users say. But what happens now when they've started editing content? Does that make you a media company at the point where you then are telling other users that certain tweets are unreliable or you're blocking certain types of information from being uh, uh, put forward on your platform? Does that make you a media company at that point? And if you are, are you still subject to Section 230? I would say no. I would say no, it doesn't make you a media company. I I think that all of these platforms have always had terms and terms of service, right? Where you sign and you agree not to engage in in whatever behaviors the platform has decided that you can't. And uh um yeah, like I said before, I don't think the issue with with um with 230 is that it should be um, expanded sort of like I guess what I would say is I would say that it's not that the social media companies now need to be referenced or now need to be viewed as media companies because they happen to have bias I I think the root of the problem is maybe we do need other laws in place but the root of the problem is that they're they have too much control of the market okay yeah I I am not sure whether or not I think that makes them a media company, but they're definitely curating content. Okay. They curate the content that a user sees algorithmically. They, they, yeah, that they, complicates things a little bit there. I mean, maybe we need a whole they new advertise. suite of, of laws uh, for social media. Like we're talking about this, this law being written in 1996. Right. Uh, the internet has changed so much since 1996. Like the kinds of things, the kinds of platforms that existed, the kinds of problems that existed then, uh, you, you couldn't have even imagined some of the ways that things could have gone between then and now. Like things are crazy. (laughs) Yeah. We think trying to interpret the constitution that was adopted in 1789 is hard. But for some reason, even this stuff is hard. It was only written 24 years ago. Oh, I mean, <laughs> and it we can't, it, That just shows the breakneck speed that we're moving at right now. So I don't know. I think we can kind of drop that for now. But that's just something that I've been thinking about. But I've heard them sometimes referred to as almost like a public utility, though. Does it almost seem like they are so big and they're so present in our lives that they can't be treated as almost anything but almost like a like a public service well i mean i think that the analogy works the best with like the town square or whatever right mm-hmm. like everybody has access to it and everybody can go there and say whatever they want 
But they can't I, go there and say whatever they want. I know. I do think it falls apart. I mean, even in the town square, there's certain things that would get you carted off to the insane asylum, asylum or, or to jail for the night. or Right. Um, and the other difference is that your town square, even if everybody in your town is there, you're still only reaching the ears of your local community. Um, so the scope is different, too. I, I guess I, in coming down on the side of the of individual rights, I still would say that these companies have the right to block whatever they want. The, the problem is that if they're able to block whatever they want, they cannot be the only thing that exists. So, I, I agree there. So you could have a Twitter and, and, then, and then something comes up because, because Twitter is not fulfilling the needs. It's not allowing for all of the voices that exist in our country. So you have something like Parler that gets created to so that those voices can say what they want to say. And, and I think that that is, in essence, how our market economy is supposed to work, right? Somebody creates a thing, it works, turns out it doesn't work for everybody then you can create something that works for the people that that other thing doesn't work for. And you can create a competing business model that works slightly differently. The problem is that as it stands right now, these, these companies, Twitter and Facebook, they have such a, they not only have so much of the market share. We should go ahead and put the other big ones, Microsoft, Google, Amazon. And once you get to that point, I mean, I, Almost no I'm one mostly talking about but social you, media. Okay, like, yeah, if you talk media. about tech companies' market share, like, yeah, we can we can bring Microsoft and Google and everything into it. But even if we're just talking about social media, you've got Facebook owns Instagram, WhatsApp, and WhatsApp, which is not social media. But it's WhatsApp is used very <laughs> okay. heavily internationally. It's not so oh, yeah. popular within the United States, but but basically, you have. Basically, two companies, three if you count TikTok, which I don't know what their market share is, but Facebook between has Facebook four billion and users, I believe, between Facebook and Twitter, one half the planet, and and then now we see what has happened with something like Parler. Um, they they come into the market. They try to be this space where people who can't speak on Twitter can speak, and then they get shut down too because all of these other tech companies and the parts of the market that they own from from app stores to to servers and and now all of a sudden if they're all going to be the arbiters of what's what's true and what you're allowed to say then you, all of a sudden you can't say right. a lot of stuff and it can go you know, we started talking a little bit about how how web hosting and the internet works a little bit earlier but just to bring in another kind of high level thing to talk about <clears throat> Even if you said like setting up your own website on your computer at home, making your own server, you could technically do that. The, the, the PC tower that's sitting behind you right there, I could set up a server and I could allow people to contact it and get information and kind of start my own app if I wanted. But there are also domain name servers out there that which you can imagine them as is just a big, you can imagine it's like a big Excel spreadsheet that has all the internet addresses around the world and where and how to direct traffic to them. You could technically, if, if I own that server, which is a private company, 
I could take your name off of it and no one would ever even know that your little server existed in your room in the whole planet. They could never connect to it because as soon as someone tried to, they would either recognize mm-hmm. it as flagged or no one would ever, ever be, even be able to see it. So Yeah, the and URL are, could just redirect or it disappear essentially. Those are owned by a very few number of companies as well. And Not so only it, that, you but... You could put together 10 companies in the world You could and they could completely shut down all traffic. It, even, even if you have Comcast or you have Charter or... Uh, rotor internet, any of these big spectrum, any of these big companies, they can all they also have the ability to stop traffic that's coming in. Your ISP can stop your traffic. So, not only that, but there's even more subtle ways to do it, um, like deprioritizing or blocking addresses through search, right. So, that I mean, this is the kind of thing that net neutrality was supposed to protect against that, that companies couldn't buy their way to the top of a Google search result. Um, well, and even if even if they didn't block you, what they could do is they could they could allow so little bandwidth to go to your site that it was functionally it's functionally impossible to get there (laughs) yeah so uh, it between and i i feel like i would have said even five years ago that it was unlikely that 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 kind of censorship across all these tech companies would happen but i think at this point what we're essentially seeing is a lot of these tech companies informally coalescing to censor people right and i mean the informal nature of it is just because they are all ideologically on the same page yeah it's they're, coincidentally they've all aligned on on one message and so anyone who's anti-message happens to get shut down yeah I, and I, it's against the very nature of what like the free market and capitalism and right. and democracy and free speech it's against all of it everything that our country is supposed to stand for so before we move on from sort of this like we could talk i, I think i want to talk a little bit about like sort of the asymmetrical enforcement of the rules they do okay, have that's and how, what that's i was going to bring up as well but what's interesting is when we're talking about uh well we don't like what they're doing so let's set up our own server well <laughs> It's funny because for so many decades, you've heard the arguments that, well, you don't like what this company's doing. This is a free country. We're a market economy. Just start your own company. (laughs) If you don't like what this company does, you don't like their practices, start a competing company and put them out of business because if your model's better, it'll win out. But that doesn't work in this case. And what's funny is that a lot of people that espouse that argument in the past about just start your own company and outcompete them are now the ones who are really upset about because they're the target now <laughs> about what's going on, and it's so funny. we've had Elizabeth Warren saying for spending a, a huge amount of her Let's career up saying we need Let's... to break up these companies. This is bad. This is this is anti-American to allow these kinds of monopolies to exist. And now you've got from the back of the room Ted Cruz raising his hand and saying, "Uh huh, yeah." Well, and it's funny because I'll, I see some of the some of the people. I'm, I know not all conservatives are like this, but some of the conservative voices I've seen on Twitter are, will have a big feed like, "Okay, what am I supposed to do? Buy a hundred million dollars worth of servers, lay down millions of miles worth of cable, buy satellites, set up this, set up that, and start my own app service? How could I do that?" And I'm like, 
you're kind of making, you're kind of seeing how ridiculous your argument was before when you thought you could take on big oil or, or some of the other traditional big companies. So yeah. I just think it's funny to see how it's, it's turned around now. And, and I mean, they're using the same argument that others used to use against them for, in some ways, everything breaking that, up monopolies. Yeah. In some ways, everything that's happening is kind of like scary and awful. And you hope that it doesn't gain too much traction, but if there is hope to be had, it's that hopefully both sides can come together on this kind of from they're coming from different angles they have different priorities but if ultimately elizabeth warren and the ted cruises of the world can hold hands and say hey you know what looks like monopoly really is a problem and it's not only gonna stifle the entrepreneurial spirit of people but it also is going to stifle freedom of speech and freedom of thought and just your ability to do the kinds of things that at this point in the 21st century we rely on to do to exist and communicate together like maybe we can really get something done right because at this point the only way that another company that can rival amazon could arise is if another company that's already a multi multi-billion dollar company suddenly decided to buy some other company that had the infrastructure in place at this point there's never going to be another company that's built from a basement up that could take these people on. It could take on Google. I mean, I'm not going to say it could never happen, but we're. You would. It would require a Amazon's going to be a company when we die, and Apple will okay. be a company when we die, and they're going to be massive when <laughs> at that point. Well, or or the or maybe they've the, been broken up and someone sold off. The and we could have we well, could have a diversity of of companies to choose from. And, possibly, but it's. It seems like they have staying power at this point. They're so huge and unassailable. Yeah, one okay. can hope that. Okay, Which so is... we're are we talking about now the asymmetry yeah, yeah. of the application of? So, so if you want, you guys, something you want to say on that? Yeah, I mean, okay. I guess when I was talking about, I think that Twitter totally has the right to enforce their terms of service or whatever. I do think that with these companies, they make people, when you sign up, they, you you agree to certain codes of conduct or whatever. Almost everything that you ever engage in, there's rules. And if you break them, then it's the right of the provider of that service or, or space or whatever to cut you off. The problem comes in, or at least part of the problem comes in with the asymmetry of of the application of those guidelines and it's it's evident not just in the kinds of people who've said way worse things than donald trump that are still on twitter tweeting away but it's also obvious when you just look at donald trump himself and the kinds of things he said in the past and and compare them to the things that got him kicked off twitter so i don't know which of those you want to tackle first but go ahead well yeah it's they've been inconsistent with individual users and they're inconsistent across users so like you said if you think that donald trump should have been kicked off twitter now if you're jack dorsey and everybody works at twitter and say okay now it's time to to pull the plug on donald trump's account if you were being consistent you should have done it four years ago or more or even longer back during the birther movement so why do you wait until after this election to start putting comments under the tweets to say this tweet well, is false information but they was did... it after the election or during did they start <clears throat> it, was, it was after the election after yeah right after but i mean you did it you didn't think that you needed to censor him when he was saying that our president obama was born in kenya and started an entire birther movement that's 
that was we all knew that was patently false but yeah. he's allowed to say it so what's the difference and I, mean, it, I, I think have... it's cowardice for one thing i believe that they were afraid to shut down somebody as powerful as donald trump four five six years ago and now that he's almost out of office i i think they're doing it now just because they feel more comfortable doing it so it's cowardice on one part but i mean what's the other and trump's not the only person they kicked off this last yes. week there were thousands and thousands of accounts being closed down. well and most were supposedly QAnon accounts but it's a little bit hard the nature of twitter makes it hard to to verify that because when somebody gets kicked off their entire history gets removed from from twitter so, oh i didn't know that they don't keep no so uh, that's one of the things they don't archive all of it well they may archive it I but it's not do. archived publicly so like donald trump's feed is no longer accessible so any record that we have of donald trump's tweets are screen grabs that people had took over the course there's of... one more record uh didn't trevor noah oh. and uh, comedy central start the the museum of trump tweets <laughs> the a long time ago i actually also think they maybe put it into the national library the um oh i, I think the things that he said on twitter have to be in the archives yeah, so because it's still presidential communication, as if he were writing a letter to us. I have here. I have two tweets. One that was from July of 2018, and then I have the tweet that got him kicked off Twitter. Oh. So I'm just going to read them. So okay. this is a lovely all caps in the spirit of of Kofefe, um <laughs> tweet that Donald Trump tweeted in in July of 2018. To Iranian President Rouhani, never ever threaten the United States again or you will suffer consequences the likes of which few throughout history have ever suffered before. We are no longer a country that will stand for your demented words of violence and death. Be cautious. So this is a tweet that is essentially threatening war on a country <laughs> in the Middle East. Uh in all caps, I mean, it's not calmly saying, hey, you better look out because we're tough. It's It looks like the ravings of a mad person. Mm -hmm. And then the tweet that got him removed from Twitter. The 75 million great American patriots who voted for me, America first, and make America great again, will have a giant voice long into the future. They will not be disrespected or treated unfairly in any way, shape, or form. To all those who have asked, I will not be going to the inauguration on January 20th. Mm -hmm. And there's only one, two, three, four, five, six, eight words in that tweet that are all caps. <laughs> only eight. So, so it, it looks, um, I mean, there's lots of exclamation points. None of his tweets look particularly sane. Probably a lot of commas, too. Indeed. Okay. Um, but the justification of why these tweets are the glorification of violence and the previous tweet are not it was not is basically the context of the broader events in the country in in light of his statements so i i think that the the guideline that they said he broke was the glorification of violence and they said given what happened at the capitol um this was seen as glorifying what they were doing and I guess inciting them to to do further um, I read one piece that said while previously you could argue that his words might incite violent action now you would have to say they did incite violent action right. to me that seems a little bit like splitting hairs like 
well, yeah, they, they we might have incited something with Iran with that first tweet, and we're just lucky that we didn't, I guess. Um, the other thing that I would like to... Can I just make an interjection on, yes. on that? So, obviously we've had a tradition that the outgoing president should attend the inauguration of the incoming president. I mean, even you know Obama, he attended Trump's. Uh, yes. And we've done it. I, I can't tell you how many have not attended the inauguration of their successor. But, I mean, if we go all the way back to the election of 1800, John Adams got pissed and he left Washington before Je- Jefferson became president and didn't go to his inauguration. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's it's just so funny to see parallels with the past. I mean, I and think I I these playing aren't, devil's aren't, advocate here. There is context here. There is. If someone is telling his supporters that just ransacked the Capitol building, that they're not he's not attending the inauguration. That seems like further confirmation that he's refusing to accept that this transfer of power is going no, to occur. No, he's already said that he's accepted it. Okay. He just said, okay. "I'm not going to your party." <laughs> I think actions and words are, I mean, he he also told the people at the Capitol that he loved them that day. I mean, I think there's plenty to be said about his words being terrible and he should shut the fuck up. And yet I, I it just, it reeks of hypocrisy to see not only the contrast between those two tweets and yet this is the straw that broke the camel's back. And also... This tweet that I'm going to read right now. So in the context of... Donald Trump? No. In the context of the circumstances needing to be taken into account to determine whether a tweet is inciting violence. This summer when riots were breaking out all over the country. Mm -hmm. This tweet. When civility leads to death, revolting is the only logical reaction. The cries for peace will rain down, and when they do, they will land on deaf ears because your violence has brought this resistance. We have the right to fight back. Rest in power, George Floyd. That has 100,000 retweets and 350,000 likes, and that's Colin Kaepernick. (laughs) (laughs) So we we have imagery of raining down... Which, that is always considered. Well, and saying that your violence, violence is going, it literally says vi- the violence here is what's going to change things. Right. And Colin Kaepernick was not removed from Twitter. Oh, no. Definitely not. And I think you could, you could again, to play devil's advocate, Colin Kaepernick is nowhere near as important in the world or in the country as Donald Trump. He's not reaching as many people. He reached a lot of people in that tweet. 300,000 likes Mo- is not 75 million voters. I would bet 50 to 80% of people probably scroll over things and don't interact with it. And he got 350,000 likes. Yeah. Millions of people saw that tweet. Yeah, and 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 how many Donald Trump has seventy five million voters that voted for him? How many? Three million, maybe on Twitter. And, but I probably, <laughs> probably, probably everybody that hates him saw that tweet. More people than like him more, saw his more tweets. More people that hate Donald Trump following follow him than people that like him. Oh, for sure. Um, so, I mean, this is all just pulling back to the point here, where it's it sort of looks like. We can say almost positively that people of a certain political bent are not going to get uh, censored on Twitter. 
Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's I've got, hard. To, I've got more to pile on there. It, you... It's hard to say. I mean, Linda Sarsour, her her text about or her tweet about wanting to take away women's vaginas is no longer on Twitter. I believe, I believe she, she took it down it that herself, but Twitter wasn't going to delete it. Okay, even, I... even though they know that she was directing it at Ion Hersey Ali, who is a victim of female genital mutilation. Yeah. They well, I mean, she named her in the tweet. She, yes, and that still. If if anybody on the right were to say something, of a, of a, something that's basically about sexual violence towards someone that was a on victim the left, of sexual violence, they would be gone in a heartbeat. I mean, the it's it's hard to say. I mean, I just spent a little bit of time before this before we sat down looking for. I've been on Twitter more than you. Have yeah, that's for true. <laughs> I just spent I a still have bit an time account, but I don't any, engage with anything. On, I decided not to engage with anything for the last. Six months or so. I, I just, was on I just look at the dumpster fire. Sarah Palin and uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez's uh, Twitter accounts, looking for violent statements, replies in their tweets, and they exist on both of them. So, mm. um, I mean, it's a consistent thing that I've noticed ever since the beginning of social media that a woman says something on on social media, and she'll people will offer offer to rape her and call her a cunt. So, right. Um, that's well i mean that exists outside the social media yeah it's unfortunately just, it's a yeah um but this is a woman of a, a supposed liberal woman saying that to another woman another oh no no, no. i'm talking I, about I, just I, in the mentions well of, I, i'm going back to your sarsour uh, oh right example this, a is, supposed a, this liberal is a this liberal is a, against this is a liberal. a liberal woman person of color attacking another Liberal woman, woman, person of color. Person of color. Well, but the the latter, Ion's not considered liberal among the people on the left. She's considered a apparently a far right person. But right. We shouldn't get into that right now. Yeah, that's a whole other. Even of though words. I believe she's a true liberal. So, let me just pile on <laughs> some more tweets. Well, just before I okay. uh, before we move on, I did find a whole set of other tweets that were that were quoted in an article about all of these tweets about hate towards white men and hate towards Republicans and like the blood of Republicans should wash on guillotines and statements like that. Mm-hmm. And none of those tweets exist any longer. So whether they real their attention was called to them because of this article that Do I the found accounts them in. Exist. That's what the accounts exist. Yes. That's. That's they they took it down themselves. Well, that's not true. The, Donald Trump not it's not necessarily true. Donald Trump had a tweet, had. Oh, you're right. I guess they they it just sounds, censor them. They don't remove them. Yeah. So, well, did you want to say anything else? No, about that's that? all. I just it, I I found it interesting that these tweets were all cited, and then when I went to verify that they exist, they no longer do. Well, what I find interesting is that. Someone who we should all, as Americans, be behind as uh, in agreeing that are you know despicable shitheads. You have someone like <laughs> Supreme Leader, you know Khamenei from okay. Iran, the the Ayatollah. Why is it that Twitter will allow him to say extremely violent, terrible things towards Jews and towards Israel, but they don't censor him. So right. here's here's a tweet. This this is from a couple years ago. It's quote, today more than ever, the interest of the Islamic nation lies in hashtag unity. 
the type of unity that creates power against enemies and shouts loudly at the embodied hashtag Satan, the encroaching U.S. and its chain dog, the Zionist regime, and stands up against aggression. Now, I'm sorry, that was actually from that was actually from last year. That was 2020. So we're calling we're ta- we're calling Zionist dogs. So they're calling Israel a chain dog. They're they're calling us Satan, and we ha- they have to fight against us. They also say that the enemies. He, he, then then he kind of got some pushback on that. And then he tries to get around and say, the enemies misinterpret the Islamic Republic's idea of quote-unquote eliminating Israel. Eliminating Israel does not mean eliminating the Jewish people. We are not anti-Semitic. Jews live in peace in Iran. Eliminating Israel represents elimination of the imposed Zionist regime. So I need to look this up. Do you think Jews live in peace in Iran? No, I don't actually think anybody lives in peace in Iran. <laughs> I don't think so either. I don't think Jews live in peace in Iran either. And so that should be flagged as being fake, right? Yeah. And if you really so if you really want to go back, the thing that people are pointing to, this is the one I meant. This is from June third, twenty eighteen. Our stance against Israel is the same stance we've always taken. Hashtag Israel is a malignant cancerous tumor in the West Asian region that has to be removed and eradicated. Oh, it is possible and it will happen. Hashtag the Great Return March. So why is it that in the United States we'd have a company that would allow a leader of a despotic nation that breeds terrorism like Iran to say whatever he wants about destroying another country, but we will censor our own president for saying he's not going to go to the next president's party? Well, technically, party. I mean, celebration, not his. <laughs> technically, we let Donald Trump say when he wanted to rain down fire on Iran, right? We we just uh, it was the the party was where we we really got. But upset. why do our companies like Twitter have such a hard on for guys like this? I mean, I I know what uh, what someone that we're a fan of would say. He would say to some extent it may be the soft bigotry of low expectations. Okay. Um, like a form of racism where it's like, oh, well, we can't expect any better of these people in these countries over here. This is, they're different from us. They're not held to the same standard because how could they possibly be? I, I think I that's mean, part I think of it. I think it's bullshit, but. <laughs> of course. It, it's, it, it's, it's racist to say you can't hold them to the same standard. It's also because they've created this narrative that the United States is extremely hostile towards towards Muslims. Mm-hmm. Which we are, which certain people and certain people that have voices are, are our country though is not a nation that's hostile towards Muslims. No. We are less hostile towards Muslims than many Muslim countries are to their own Muslims. Yeah, and the third thing I think is going on here is that for years now the left, which is aligned with the with the tech companies, they're so deranged over Trump that they think that anything that Trump is against, they have to be for. Yeah. So just because Trump has called out Iran in the past, we have to somehow, they have to somehow stand up for Iran. And I think that's just exactly what's going on here. Well, that's something we talked about in the beginning of the podcast that was one of our interests in doing this was um, 
this problem where you think you know one thing about somebody and therefore you're, you know everything and you're against them and, or you know their political party and therefore X, Y, Z, check the boxes. You know everything. So we've seen this time and time again with, with Donald Trump. Donald Trump does something completely reasonable and you see all of these people who, who should, uh, I mean, wonder, scratch their heads, I guess, why he's doing it, but at least applaud that it's getting done or calling out something really horrible and instead of saying, you know what, the that broken clock is right twice a day, they they then contort themselves into an attitude where somehow concentration camps in China must be a good thing because right. Donald Trump hates them. Because Trump is against China, we now have to like China. Yeah, I mean, th- that's, we could go down a whole other we, path we here, here, but... But let let but it suffice we're... to say that the hypocrisy here is is obvious, and I've heard people propose solutions to to this this Twitter situation where um, we need committees or we need to decide who the arbiters of of what's allowed so that we can have more consistency and less hypocrisy. And I think that that's totally insufficient until you break these companies up or at least other companies that uh, that provide a competing and alternative space for doing these things it, it doesn't matter how fair your committee or or panel of judges are there's it's it's too much power in one place over our speech yes <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know if I had much else on that. I was, I was going to throw out one other thing because I was kind sure. of pushing for a little movement that was happening um, mid last year. It's called Unity Twenty Twenty, and it was started by Brett Weinstein, who I'm sure is going to come up many times on the podcast. Hopefully, okay, I better start listening to his podcast. Hopefully, he'll come on the podcast. If you're listening, Brett Weinstein, I want to talk to you about <laughs> current events and biology. Uh, but he started a little movement that rather than, you know, he was trying to encourage us rather than us having to be essentially stuck with the two parties that we have, Democrats and Republicans. Especially in an extremely polarized way where this two sides hate each other. Yeah, we should. He was like, well, let's let's try to draft someone basically that's center left and someone that's center right and put them into a unity ticket and there there were a bunch of rules about how this would work but essentially we would try to create sort of a grassroots movement to reach out to these people and get enough people together that would try to encourage them to run for office and then if we could get them to actually say okay we'll stand up against the parties then we would just have a a massive write-in campaign on the ballots and try to get them elected right uh why was that account suspended by Twitter? Well, not just not only was the account suspended, but any tweet with the hashtag was not allowed to be tweeted. Hashtag Unity Twenty Twenty was it wasn't even was blocked. It wasn't even like after the fact, like Donald Trump, where it went out and then it was marked with like a tag that right. it was whatever they would have said it was. It was like pre-reported, so you couldn't even tweet it at all. Which sure. I, I saw screen grabs of this. It was wild. I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I was a follower of the account and was madly retweeting as much as I could when it was available. But uh, I don't know. Is it, I mean, that's just 
shows more what the ideological bent is of these companies and they they're not going to even take let anyone potentially pose any bit of a challenge to the power structure that they share with the democratic party yeah i mean we talked about this uh, the social media becoming media and while I don't think that they that, endorse their own candidates, yeah. Well, I don't think that that necessarily plays into the the section two thirty and the enforcement of that. I think we need other rules there, but it is another sort of monopoly problem that we have social media and media referring to somebody like Joe Biden as our candidate yes. and 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 firing editorial editors for allowing editorials by sitting Congress people that they don't agree with. Like my philosophy on all of this is if somebody believes some really stupid shit, some really vile stuff and they're in a position of power or they're planning attacks, why would we not let them talk? Why would we not want to know how ridiculously stupid they are so that we can vote them out of office? Why would we not want to know all the the insane plots that they're plotting to go against, march on other capitals and create violence. Why would we not let them give themselves enough rope to hang themselves with? Right. I, if you shut down Parlor and you stop these people from trying to organize there, they're just going to find more secret ways to organize. Exactly. I it, so I, I it completely blows my mind that no matter how vile and and absurd some of these people's thoughts and, and speech are that we would that we would not want to know that right. it exists. <laughs> All we're doing is just forcing them into a darker corner where it's harder harder to find them. And even even if we don't go down the the route of like violent insurrection <laughs> plotting, <laughs> even if it's just simple political opinions you don't agree with that are it's it's a way of delegitimizing uh, even any any opinion that that your group doesn't share, so they want to even de- by not allowing other uh, speech that that goes against your own beliefs. You're you're losing the ability to even argue for your own point. Like I mean, we could just oh, go for sure. We can go all the way back to just the basic reasons you have free speech is not so much that you get to talk, but so that you can hear other people talk. Well, and it's so that you can. That's how you end up coming up with your own opinions. Is yeah. by hearing other people say something that you don't agree with and figuring out why you don't agree with it and why they're why they're wrong. You have to know their argument. Well, and they say, yes, for sure, you're right. That unless you know what the other side is thinking and why, how could you possibly defend the other side to them? I, I we that's a whole other thing. Yeah. But the other thing is that bad ideas, if they're surrounded by similar bad ideas. They it, they just feed off of each other. It's worse, only yeah. when they're exposed to the light and to to other competing ideas that the best ideas are allowed to flourish. So when when and this is part of again just the intrinsic downside to social media and and people with their curated feeds and just constantly surrounded by their own point of view, they never have to say to somebody. That, that isn't like them, this stupid thing, that once they said it, someone would challenge them. If you're right. never challenged, <laughs> you're never going to realize the stupidity of the... I mean, this has happened to me. I've thought stupid things and and or been so entrenched in an idea that I was just taught for so long that 
that I, you just parrot it back until all of a sudden you have to be in a conversation with someone and you start to realize that you're not really standing on a strong foundation here. The sand is eroding away <laughs> under your feet. Yeah. I mean, we can yeah. we can get we into can, specifically what I'm talking about, talking about in the future. We are talking it's important. So, I, I mean, I almost feel like we don't need to give a defense of free speech because it, it should be it so self It should go without saying, but we must speech it. Yes. Well, I think we have. Okay. Well, um, is that yeah, going to wrap up the... Uh, I feel like there's a lot more that we could say, but at the so same time, I feel on. like we would be going um, into the weeds and, and sort of getting into other topics. I mean, I could go on about how I think social media is one of the worst things to happen to humanity and it's going to be our downfall, but that's a whole other conversation, I think. Yeah, I definitely. Well, uh in keeping with our outline, it seems like what we'd like to do is after we finish our main part, we go to commercials. No, not really. We don't have any sponsors. But <laughs> Actually, we, we're if, sponsored by Flamin' Hot Cheetos, the snack that just won't quit. I just won't quit. <laughs> we're going to try a little bit of that reverse sponsorship. We name all Send our favorite me hot things. Cheetos. And, and we hope <laughs> that Frito-Lay is listening. So I think we're going to end with our uh, things that we like and dislike or we can do them in dislike order or like order whichever one you'd like to do but we should do them back to back so you're gonna do both and then i'll do both i, I believe so okay Would you you go first you want me to go first okay so i think that um, for this section it i think generally it's gonna be kind of silly it might there might oh, yeah, be yeah. there might be it an interesting be, point there but, i mean i think we've just talked enough about stuff that we really don't like in like a downer kind of way that it's fine to just be like light yeah so I, i'm thinking what i'll do is probably because we're, we're we're ending that segment with something that we're kind of animated about and really care about i'll start with today the thing i dislike because i'm still going to be ranting a little bit and then i'll kind of be okay like, oh well here's kind of a good thing that comes out of it okay so i'm kind of tired of all the other um fruits and the people that <laughs> <laughs> let me back up i'm tired of the of the the people that that grow and package and distribute fruit food uh <laughs> fruit food go on okay i know we're gonna cut that out and come back but uh, will we? yeah we probably will so i'm tired of them beating up on bananas <laughs> and let me just explain what i'm talking about so a banana when i looked when i looked at the nutrition facts like your like a normal size banana has four hundred and twenty two milligrams of potassium, which is about twelve percent of the daily value for someone who eats about two thousand calories a day. So, as long as I've been alive, people have always said, "Eat your bananas to get potassium." Right? Eat a banana. Okay, you right. go work out. Eat a banana. Replenish your electrolytes. So, what you see all the time is that there's so many food packages that claim that their food has, quote, more potassium than, than a banana. Like, okay. So the banana has become the, the yardstick or the benchmark for potassium in our society. <laughs> <laughs> That's everything, I've never noticed this before. Everything has to be compared to the banana. I see this all the time. So I love kiwis. You know, I love kiwis. Yeah, I know you love kiwis. If, if uh, Mighty's wants to sponsor us or Zespri, I like, I like both clamshell and the yellow New Zealand gold kiwis. Their packaging now all the time. 
kiwis more it says on there more potassium than a banana okay well a kiwi costs about 50 cents to a dollar per kiwi a banana costs 19 cents at trader joe's last time i i saw you could probably even get them even cheaper at some grocery stores you buy them in bulk by the pound so they say it has more potassium but you can get basically as much potassium for 20 percent of the cost if you buy a banana so i i think that's a a bad way to attack the banana another thing <laughs> another thing that that i saw that i thought was stupid so uh i'm buying a lot more kale now okay so uh on this package of kale that i bought like i buy big bags of it for smoothies on the back quote this is what it said did you know that new scientific research shows that kale has more potassium than a banana <laughs> new scientific research exactly how new what qualifies as new i don't know but it's new and it's scientific research that shows that kale has more potassium than banana but then there's an asterisk at the end of it (laughs) and then you look down at the asterisk that has the the text printed for it at the very bottom of the bag and it says more potassium per calorie Oh, because there's no calories in kale. So I look at the bag and count up the total number of calories in the whole massive bag, a $4 bag of kale. Okay. You have to eat the whole bag of kale to get the same amount of potassium you get from one 19-cent banana. And you would probably be sick. (laughs) So that's my rant. They're trying to dethrone the banana, but they want to make you eat essentially a huge bag of kale in order to get the same amount of potassium and they want you to spend basically i mean to be fair it probably cooks down into like one tiny it's bowl. probably three cups maybe if you cook it down but i'm just saying they're always coming at the banana but they're doing it wrong coming it ca- at your banana they sure are so this is going <laughs> to lead me then to the thing i like and that is the reason why i even know this stuff and that's because we have nutrition facts labels so I'll just. So you like nutrition? I love nutrition facts labels. I'm going to ask you because it's something I thought about before and I remember, but what year do you think that, that standardized nutrition facts label came out? Oh, I think it's the 80s. You think it's the like 80s? Like 88, 89. Okay. Uh, I remember when they came out. I, I actually remember seeing okay. the first time. And it came, they came out in 1994. Oh, I was off. So. Somewhere. I was 10 years old. I'm younger than you. (laughs) Okay. 11 (laughs) months. Uh, So before 1990, no nutrition information at all was required on packaging. 1994 is when they actually standardized the label like we see now, the nutrition facts label that has this standard way that the, the data is displayed. And I remember when it came out, I thought it was really cool when I was a kid and I would sit there and like look at the packages and see what all the stuff it had in it and look at it in the store. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. And well, it's crazy how long it's taken for, for it to catch on in chain restaurants too. I think in mm. the state of California, it became I forgot pretty it, widespread in, in the mid 2000, like 2005, 2008, something like right. that. But even now I don't think every state requires that. No. And then, yeah. But it, isn't it just weird to think that it's, for only the last 26 years, you, you kind of had the right to know what 
some manufacturer was putting in the food you were buying. The surprise! This has ten times your daily value of sugar in it, and it's it's a it's um spaghetti sauce. Like it's well, not something you expect to have sugar in it. Well, and then that's part of the reason why a lot of those ad campaigns went down. Like you couldn't say things like "milk does a body good," and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of those a lot of those things that just like just made up stuff and people believed it. So. Uh, and then I'm just going to end on one last thing before I'll let you take on yours. I just, I mean, you know that I'm a huge proponent of, of capitalism. So okay. I think I've probably sounded like a really far right person on this podcast so far today. <laughs> I hope but, that we don't. I hope that we sound pretty I, center. I feel, I mean, I'm a person who's basically always voted Democrat and who has always considered under- myself to be on the left. But I, but I just feel like... Right now, one of the reasons we're doing the podcast, we feel like the left is running away from us. Well, and, and I and I think freedom of speech really, unfortunately, has been like a flag recently only picked up by the right, even though the that's the that's, cornerstone of liberal ideology. It was the cornerstone of my liberal ideology, and it still is, even if they don't want to call me a liberal anymore. But I am a proponent of capitalism, which I don't believe has any any. Um, what am I trying to think of? I don't, I don't think that it has any contradiction with with liberal values. Okay, because I, I believe you don't it. think it has any flaws. I was gonna, no. I was gonna have to poke no, you has, on that one. No, it has tons of flaws, and that's why I believe in having strong social safety nets. But let's not get into that either. But <laughs> of course, uh, but I think this is a good example of how regulation is actually good for capitalism. Right. Because if you want to have capitalism and democracy go together, like we were talking about. It before in that you have to have information you have to make you have to be able to make good decisions and if you don't know what's in your food you can't make a good decision about what to buy so it also incentivizes the companies to make what's in their food better because they have because it's public facing right if capitalism has no progress then it then there's no point in it i mean then you're back to you're back to communism but if you take just cereal for example you know before you could imagine the nutrition facts being on there what um, what ways did you entice a customer? It was it was cartoon animals and flashy colors and what toy was basically going to come in the cereal. Okay, your memories of what it was like before labels may be influenced by the fact that you were eight years old. Well, I'm just saying, <laughs> what I'm saying is, I think that adding the nutrition labels added more levels of competition that companies could compete on. Because you're not just on the advertising more. Now you have to talk about the nutritional content, the sugar, the fat. And now there's more choices. There's more information. The customer is better informed. And I think that it forces better products to be made. And I think it actually widens the market so that now, even if you don't want to appeal to the people that want the flashy uh, packaging, you can appeal to people who want healthy cereal. And it just widens the market make it better. So... That's my thing I like, nutrition labels. And that's all because I saw um, my kale bag trying to attack my bananas. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Mine are probably not going to be as elaborate or as um, interconnected as yours. But I'm going to start with what I don't like, which is Tom Brady going to the Super Bowl. Okay. And uh, if it... It, I really don't like him winning the Super Bowl, and since Eli Manning is retired, I'm afraid if he gets there, then we're going to see him win. Um, so I'll list to say that um, I guess go Packers for one week and one week only, and then 
go AFC. Hmm. John's a big Tom Brady fan, so I'm not saying I'm a big Tom Brady fan, but I oh please respect the hell out of Tom Brady. <laughs> Is that not the definition of being a big Tom Brady fan? No, you can respect things that you don't like or you're not a fan of. But do you for. not like him, and are you not a fan of him? I think it's awesome that somebody that's seven years older than I am, six or seven years older than I am, is still playing at the highest level of a professional contact sport. I leave it to you, ladies and gentlemen, whether or not he sounds like a fan in <laughs> of Tom Brady. Um, I'm just saying, when he throws the football, you should look at his form. <laughs> Just watch um, the grace and poise that he has. Under you pressure. may or may not hear from me again on this one in the next couple of weeks, depending on how, how this goes. He, the man does not need an, a, to win a Super Bowl in the AFC and the NFC. Uh, so let's leave that to be that. And then... Um, so that's what you dislike. That's what I dislike. And I, I do hate the Packers. I know. Or the passion. Well, I think ultimately we're going to be rooting for the Bills. Right? I believe so. So, okay. go Bills. Go um, Bills. My 49ers are long since out of out of the running here. So, and John's Cowboys, Cowboys are... Cowboys have been out of the running for years. <laughs> okay. But we always find a team to root for. I mean, even if it comes down to whoever it comes down to, we'll find somebody. The thing that I like, and I was just thinking about this as I ran my virtual race yesterday and as my family got together to play virtual games online, my thing that I like is that even, that if COVID and and self uh, social distancing and self-quarantining and all of this was going to happen, I like that it happened at a time when... Um, when we can do we can do all of these things um, that we didn't used to be able to do remotely. So the I feel like if this had even happened five years ago, the opportunities for video chatting with people, the the the, the availability of sort of like real time games that you can play with teams with people, the the kinds of things that are available to make to make races, um, half marathons and things virtual. Um, video conferencing for my job. I worked remote for a year and a half um, starting in 2017. And even even the technology that was available then was not as good as now. Um, I'm just, it, it is a thing that I like that, that getting things delivered to your home and being able to get things quickly without going out and getting exposed to the virus that all of those things are easier and and more accessible now than they've ever been so i'm i'm an extrovert and i'm very miserable being at home but but i think it's something to be really happy about that that we have so many ways of of subverting the virus <laughs> and and maintaining human contact in spite of everything yeah not social media boo yeah <laughs> I'm afraid people are spending more time on that now, but uh, but that's not I totally, the really. I, I agree though, completely. And I would say social media isn't the, really the way to connect. the The way like I've talked to more people on the phone um, than I than I had previously, and and getting on on FaceTime or Skype or Zoom or whatever platform right. you use to see people and hang out. It it's it's great. 
That is what I like. That's what you like. All right. Well, I think we've been at this for a while. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I haven't, I don't know how to read the timer, so it, it could have been like twenty minutes. I'm pretty sure it's been longer than that. <laughs> uh, well, how do we wrap this up? Stay sexy. Well, let's let's give it some time. Uh, so we're well, gonna try to we're gonna try to do one of these maybe every two or three weeks. Hopefully, every two weeks. Yeah, I think we, the goal is to put one out every two weeks, and maybe sometimes they'll be a little longer, sometimes a little shorter. Sometimes, we'll, yep. We're going to have all kinds of different topics coming up. We're going to probably do book reviews. We're going to do um, maybe like maybe we'll talk about movies. We'll, we'll do something more a little more lighthearted every now and then. Yeah, and I think we also want to take up some like heavy topics, things that are usually seen in, in very black and white and, and mm-hmm. just sort of tease out the, the shades of gray there. Yeah. Um, and then we, we want to have like of the moment topics when we can where something's happening in the world and, and we jump on it like we did today. Yeah. Cause sometimes it's just, it's just too difficult to try to come with, with something that's pre canned and planned when something, some big event happens. You're a poet and you didn't know it <laughs> <laughs> or you knew it. I knew it. And I blew it. So, uh, yeah. So then, I guess when are we going to sign off? Well, Nobody One knows. Other thing. <laughs> nobody knows. <laughs> I guess in conclusion, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Okay. All right. See ya. <laughs>